0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: Everybody has questions about the Bible. Sometimes they're easy questions, but we don't mind taking hard questions sometimes too. You know, 66 books in the Bible, 40 different authors... A time span over 1500 years, there have to be issues around meanings, interpretations, cultures, or the science of translation, even into our modern languages. Well, sometimes we're reluctant to ask questions about the Bible and how we might glean answers that relate to the challenges that we face here in the 21st century. Sometimes superficial answers are not quite enough and we want well-thought-out responses to puzzling and even controversial Bible questions. Our special guest today has written a book called The 50 Most Important Bible Questions and it's just been released around the world. Dr. Michael Rydelnick is Professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at the Moody Bible Institute in the United States. He regularly answers questions, be they simple questions or hard questions, about the Bible on more than 200 radio stations across America. So it is our privilege today to be able to welcome Michael Rydelnick to 2020. Michael, welcome along.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's uh, the it's first time I've ever been talking with anyone down under, so I, I love it. I'm so grateful.
1: Well, you're talking to us in the morning here, and thank you yeah. for uh, taking a call uh, into your later evening. So, uh, Michael, you've been the host of a open-line radio program for the past 10 years. What sort of questions are you fielding from Americans? Are they asking easy questions or hard questions? What sort of things do you typically talk about?
0: Well, they ask all kinds of questions. I, I find that uh, people uh, will ask questions that are really obscure, that are they, they're puzzled by. Uh, some things that are commonly asked, I think, are uh, not that important, but... I included some of those questions in the book because they ask them so commonly. I always think it's funny that one of the most common questions I get is who were the sons of God and the daughters of men and the Nephilim in Genesis 6? Well, I I just don't think that's really going to change anyone's life all that much. But sure enough, I I think I get that question at least once every other week. So uh, some questions like that. And then there are some really... Uh, serious questions i 've had people call up and uh, as they were thinking about having uh, an abortion and wanting to know what does the Bible have to say about that and uh, i 've had people call up and ask about what does the Bible say about suicide because they were actually contemplating suicide and so sometimes you're in a crisis mode when you answer i've had people call up and they want to argue about end of days uh, you know different scenarios. And they don't like the one that I've taught on the radio, so they argue about that. So it, it goes from uh, really kind of like serious issues, and then next thing you know, someone will call up and they they want to know about uh, you know pre-trib, post-trib, uh, rapture things, that, uh, and then they want to argue. So you just never know.
1: Okay, and sometimes the questions, as you say, are very hard questions. Sometimes they're important questions. No doubt mm-hmm. sometimes they'd fit into the trivia category. Uh, right. Is this is this where you find uh, that there are a lot of people interested? Because sometimes uh, we're more interested in the trivia uh, than we are in the hard questions. Do you differentiate no, between you the know- two?
0: We don't get a lot of trivia questions, believe it or not. Uh, when the program started about 10 years ago, I, uh, I, I pretty much made it clear, you know, no trivia. What we're talking about are questions about the Bible, if you need to understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Uh, questions about God, if you want to tr- try and understand what God is like better, if you want to know how to know him better. Or questions about the spiritual life, how to walk with the Lord. Those are the questions we want to talk about. And I said, uh, you know, I when I, I used to joke around early on when I was trying to set the tone for the program, uh, I would joke and say, I could always beat my kids in Bible trivia, but that's not what you're calling me for. You want to know what the Bible means. And so we don't get a lot of Bible trivia, actually, which is kind of interesting. People really do ask with very serious and, and uh, uh, significant questions about interpreting the scriptures.
1: Are the questions getting harder, Michael? Because when you've got times that are good, uh, things are going well, economies thriving, people are living in harmony. Uh, That perhaps is bringing us back to, you know, maybe there's more trivial questions about the Bible, but as times get harder, as uh, people groups are divided, as there are political conflicts, there are even changes in global uh, geopolitics, uh, all of these big things that are going on, is that changing the way people are asking questions?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, there's two areas where I think I see changes. One is people are really struggling with the question of why does, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? And every time you see another issue come up in the world, whether it's a tsunami or an earthquake or, and those are natural disasters, or uh, a terrorist act or bombing or something like that, those questions come up again and again and it's it's a legitimate question it's an important question and it, I don't think anyone really has the final answer I always say I can make some suggestions I don't think I can give any answers to it uh, and that that's one and, and I do my best to give the best answers I can but uh, I think that's one kind of question and the second I guess you would say a little bit tougher questions is that there are a lot of atheist websites out there now uh advocating critiques of the bible and mostly people used to say oh the bible country has contradictions or the there's these problem verses in the bible but you'd say well what are they And they wouldn't know well now they go to websites and they see what uh are alleged contradictions i don't think they are contradictions but alleged ones that they the atheist websites say are incontrovertible that this shows the problem with the bible and so people will get those and they'll call me up and they'll want to talk about it uh questions like why would uh god require a woman to marry her rapist in in the law of moses that isn't that immoral and uh so questions like that and i think those are a little bit more challenging and through the years, I've had to study and try and give an apologetic for the Bible, explain what it really says, not what people think it says, or be able to, to harmonize uh, different passages that people say uh, contradict, but
1: they don't. Michael just touch on for a moment here because a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with you Dr. Michael Rydelnick. You've got a personal faith in Christ You've been teaching the Bible for a long long time Give us a, an in a nutshell version of the Michael Rydelnick story
0: Sure uh, My parents were both Holocaust survivors And I was raised in the Holy Land Brooklyn, New York <laughs> Okay uh, And I uh, I came from an observant Jewish home, and when I was a freshman in high school, I was challenged uh, to consider whether or not Yeshua or Jesus was the Messiah. And it was through the, uh, I would say, testimony, but also extensive arguments with a, a, an older Jewish woman who had given her life to sharing the good news with Jewish people. Uh, she and I would meet, I was trying to prove her wrong and ultimately, she convinced me to, uh, that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of uh, promised uh, the promises of Messiah. And I came, uh, I came to see that I needed an atonement for my sin, that good deeds and prayer and repentance was insufficient. Fasting on Yom Kippur wouldn't do it. Uh, I needed uh, a sacrificial atonement for my sins and that Jesus died for me and rose again. And uh, based on Isaiah 53, I was able to uh, put my trust in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, and so that was when I was in high school. And uh, I can't say that my father received that real well, but nevertheless, uh, I, I, I was, had this great privilege of going to a school that I love because I teach there now, but Moody Bible Institute, the only school in the United States uh, and in North America that has an accredited Degree in Jewish studies and that's where I went to study and also had a, uh, a degree uh, Everyone gets a degree in Bible at Moody's everyone's a double major Bible and also Jewish studies I went on and studied more after that met uh, a woman that was uh, when I was in school deeply committed to uh, Reaching Jewish people loving Jewish people caring for them uh, with and presenting the good news to them and so Uh, We got married. We went through graduate school. We went to two different graduate schools. Uh, I have two kids. I used to work in New York. I lived in New York for about 10 years, planted a a congregation for both Jews and Gentiles, uh, but it was predominantly Jewish, two-thirds Jewish of people who came to faith and and went to this congregation, and uh, probably would have never left. I served with an organization as a congregation, planter, the organization, is down under there, uh it's it's called uh chosen people ministries uh and uh so i uh, i served with them and would have never left as a congregation planter but moody bible institute uh asked me to uh consider coming and i i was thrilled to do that i've been professor there now 28 years i i was i was one course away and a dissertation away from my doctorate when i Got to, to Moody and and then finished it and so I've been uh, I've been there now a total of twenty eight years and I continue to uh, I'm primarily a professor just about uh, fifteen years ago the local Moody station Moody has a network of stations uh, fifteen years ago the local station in Chicago uh, asked me to come on and answer Bible questions and then after about five years of doing that about ten years ago. Moody invited me to start a program on Saturday mornings called Open Line. It's actually a rebirth of an old program they used to have in the evenings that they had taken off the air when the man retired who used to answer Bible questions. And uh, they said, we want to start again as a Saturday morning program, and asked me to do it. And so I'm a college professor by week, by the weekdays, and i uh, radio Bible teacher on weekends. Wonderful stuff.
1: And, uh, you know, I think listeners will be confident that you've got a wonderful grounding to be able to answer all sorts of Bible questions. And before we get into some of those questions, we might even revisit some of those ones you mentioned. Uh, But we're inviting listeners to ask a question today, too. We have a Facebook post. Facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio. You'll find a post there. You can ask a question, and we'll put the, those questions to our special guest today. But there's a question around questions I wonder if you can touch on for a moment here, because it's one thing to come to faith in Christ, to make a decision to follow him. It's another thing to move into discipleship, to become a mature believer deepening your faith, and you won't be able to deepen that faith without having those questions answered in your own heart. And everyone has different questions, but questions are sometimes the blockage to us moving into maturity. What are your thoughts here for listeners today? If you hear answers to the questions that you've been asking, they've been blocking you from deepening your faith in christ what are your thoughts for listeners who might have a a niggling question they've never really heard the right answer to
0: well i I don't think we have to have answers to every question i think jesus is the answer and uh there are some things that you know i struggled with when i i remember in bible college having a discussion with a professor about a particular issue and i really i kept pushing that on this issue uh uh, and it had to do with, can I be secure? Am I safe? Or can, is it possible for me to lose my salvation if I step out of line? And I was pointing out a passage, Hebrews 6, which I thought, that, that certainly means that I can lose my salvation. And he went over passage after passage with me that talked about the security of the believer. Now, I don't know where you stand on this issue, but for me, that was a big issue. And finally, I I didn't feel like I was getting a good enough answer on Hebrews 6. And it was, as you say, niggling. It was bothering me. And I talked with this professor in college, and he said, Michael, always allow the the, the clear to interpret the unclear. Always allow what's clear in Scripture to interpret what's unclear. So he said, you have all these very, very easy, clear passages that assure you of your salvation that, that c- confirm it, that shows that you're secure. And then you've got this one passage that's bothering you. So why don't you just let it rest and trust God over the clear? And then over time, he said, you'll get the answer on Hebrews 6. And sure enough, I remember a few years later thinking, I really understand Hebrews 6 now. I can explain it now. Uh, it may not be the perfect explanation, but it satisfied me. And as such... Uh, it finally was okay. And so that's what I would say to anyone. I don't know what the issue is that you're thinking about that bothers you, that that makes a struggle for you. But the overall message of the Bible, the overall truth of the Bible, the way it points to the Lord Jesus, who paid an infinite price to redeem us, who died for us and rose again, trust him. And you don't have to have every question answered immediately. Sometimes it takes time. Uh, And so uh, I would say, Sure. You know, buy 50 most important Bible questions that may answer some of your questions or, uh, you know, people listen in sometimes on open line uh, from Australia and from Europe and from all sorts of places and actually send in questions. And so perhaps that could help you as you listen to other people's questions answered. You can listen online or uh you can just go talk to someone who knows the Word. I'm sure there are people who are fine Bible teachers in Australia, and go and get some help and see if you can get those questions answered. But nothing is going to be perfect. Ultimately, sooner or later, you're going to have to say, I trust God, and he'll make this clear over time. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
1: Our talk back line open, 1 800 316 316. We'll take some calls when we can. There is a way you can ask a question on our Facebook post today, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And you'll be able to see a post there. And our special guest, Dr. Michael Rydelnick. His new book is called 50 Most Important Bible Questions. Michael, let's touch on some questions. Uh, one listener who's uh, David, he says, uh, the Bible it contains the Word of God is what we are taught at church I go to uh, makes sense when you read some of the parts of the Bible I think uh, what he's saying is uh, that the church teaches that the Bible contains God's Word rather than is God's Word and if it just contains God's Word then that explains the errors and contradictions Uh, what are your thoughts for David and his question?
0: Well, I think that there are better explanations to show that these aren't errors, that these aren't necessarily contradictions, Uh, but I would go to the most basic verse about biblical inspiration. Uh, In 2 Timothy, what Paul writes is that all scripture is inspired, Uh, and what that means is God-breathed, and so... uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired uh, and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. He doesn't seem to mean, in my opinion, that all scripture contains inspired writings. It's all scripture is inspired. And so uh, I just think that uh, when you look at what the scriptures say over and over, you read the Old Testament. It says, thus says the Lord. That's what the prophets say. Uh uh, or the word of the Lord came to me. And then these books were written. It says in Second Peter one twenty one that something supernatural happened, that when the men wrote Scripture, when they did that, they didn't write any ideas that just came to them. It wasn't of their own mind that they uh, had, were, were led by God uh, in doing that. that. It says, in fact, no, no prophecy of Scripture come, comes from one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, and here's the key passage, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so it seems to me that this is saying that the Holy Spirit is the one that moved the authors, superintended the authors, they produced an inspired text, all scriptures inspired, and that's why the Lord Jesus said uh, in his prayer in John 17, he said, Uh, sanctify them in the truth, he says, of the disciples. And then he says, and your word is truth. That's what he says to his father. And so I think we can take the Bible as God-breathed in its entirety. Men were moved by the Spirit to produce the word of God. And that's why the Lord Jesus says, your word is truth.
1: And if we take that just a step deeper, for those who might be thinking about the Word of God and the books and letters that we see contained in the Bible, uh, taking that to the formation of the canon of Scripture, the Old Testament canon, the New Testament canon, mm-hmm. uh, do we take that as something that God has put together so that we can have access to something that we could see as His complete Word?
0: Yeah, that, that's a really, you know, people always ask me, what is the the test of inspiration, of test of canonicity, and it's it's inspiration. And when the prophets wrote their books, when Moses wrote the Torah, the law of Moses, when Paul wrote his epistles, whatever it was, it was immediately received by the people of God as the word of God. That was it. They said, oh, these bear the mark of inspiration. Most people aren't aware of this, but there's a Another epistle to the Corinthians that Paul wrote—he mentions it in Second Corinthians—and it is a, an epistle he wrote between First and Second Corinthians. We could call it, you know, One A or something, or so. But the truth of it is, it was—it didn't bear the marks of inspiration. So everything Paul wrote wasn't automatically inspired. Uh, in fact, you know, if we found his laundry list, we wouldn't stick it in the Bible. Uh, you know, or if we found his grocery list. No, we, we would say that was not inspired writings. And so those books were not included that didn't bear the mark of inspiration. Only these did. They were immediately received. Now, of course, afterwards, when people challenged it, questions came up. And so they said, well, no, these bear the mark, for example, the New Testament of apostolicity. What that means is either an apostle wrote it or someone near an apostle like Mark was associated with Peter, and Luke was associated with Paul. So it has a test of apostolicity. Or there may be other things that people are looking for. Uh, But nevertheless, the key is that it was received by the people of God immediately as the Word of God.
1: Well, some of the things we're talking about today might spark in you a question you want an answer to. You can ask your question today at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take another question from Sylvia. Now, Sylvia says, good morning. Thank you for another great show. My burning question is, should Christians still follow the Ten Commandments? especially keeping the Sabbath day. (laughs) I know we are saved by grace, but Jesus also said that if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. Keeping the Sabbath day is really a burning question for me. Thank you. What are your thoughts for Sylvia, Michael? Well, first
0: of all, I would say that the Sabbath is, every Old Testament covenant seemed to have a sign. You know, the Noahic covenant, that God would not destroy the earth by flood again, had the sign of the rainbow, Abraham received a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, of, of land and seed and a blessing that he would be and receive. That had the, the uh, outward sign of circumcision. And it appears that in uh, the book of Exodus, uh, when God gives the law of Moses, then he includes the Sabbath, and he says that is the sign of the law of Moses. And so... Uh, that's a very important distinction to make. It says in uh, in Exodus 35, when it gives the command for Sabbath, it says, this is the sign that God has made for you. Uh, this will be a sign. And so it seems to me that we need to recognize the Sabbath command as part of the Ten Commandments, but it's it's an outward sign of the Mosaic Law. Now, of course, we come to the New Testament, and the New Testament doesn't throw out the law of Moses, all scripture is inspired, there's no doubt about that, but the constitution that we live under is called not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ, or not the Mosaic Torah, the Messianic Torah. That's what we live under, the law of Christ. It's called the New Covenant, or the New Testament. And what's interesting is nine of the ten commandments are repeated in the New Covenant. Only one isn't and that's the sabbath command. Now there's a principle in the new covenant in the in the epistles that says that one man honors one day above another, Romans 14. Another man views them all alike. Let each man be convinced in his own mind. What that says is that we have great freedom to determine what day we'll worship and what day we'll take for a day of rest. Now, I think there's still a principle from the sabbath command even though it, because we're under the mosaic, not we're not under the mosaic Torah, we're under the messianic. So the sign of the Sabbath has sort of been has sort of faded away, but we still can get the principle that we should take one day for rest, physical rest and spiritual renewal. We absolutely need that. Romans fourteen is saying we can choose which day. You could do it on Saturday. You could do it on Sunday. You could do it on Friday. Doesn't matter there's a great deal of freedom on what day we can take that day of rest. So that's, that's what I would say. The sign uh, was not repeated because we're not under the Mosaic Torah as our daily life, uh, our daily constitution.
1: Wonderful references in connecting the old covenant with the new covenant. Uh, I often uh, will say something very simplistic, Michael, like if it was good enough for the disciples, it's good enough (laughs) for me. Uh, So, I mean, sometimes that doesn't have a a very academic ring to it, but uh, oftentimes Mm. that uh, does hit the mark. Hey, we're about to go to news, and we'll continue Mm -hmm. our conversation after Vision National News. Uh, Michael, some questions coming through on our Facebook post. Anne says... What's the difference between God's will or predestination and our own free will? What's your response for a question like that? Well, I
0: find that that people will go to either extreme. Uh, They will either emphasize human responsibility as another word for free will. Uh, Sometimes they will emphasize uh, divine sovereignty. They will emphasize predestination. And I believe the Bible teaches both. And this is a hard thing. Uh, J.I. Packer, the great uh, writer, uh, wrote that there is something called an antinomy. Antinomies are apparent contradictions. They're, not, they're really not contradictions. They, they're contradictions in our mind, in our way of thinking. But in the mind of God, they are harmonized. I mean, we can look at Scripture. It's really clear, particularly with the issue of salvation that God elects the words that are used. He chose us before time in Ephesians one. He predestined us, it says uh, in Romans 8, 29. Uh, It says over and over that God is the one who is sovereign in salvation. And then uh, it also has this emphasis on human responsibility. It says in scripture in the Old Testament, In the law of Moses, the commandment I have commanded you is not too difficult. It's not out of reach. Uh, You can do it. Uh, And that's in Deuteronomy 30. Then in the New Testament, when uh, Paul says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sounds like it's our responsibility, Romans 10, 13. Uh, And then uh, when when the, the Philippian jailer asked, The Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved in Acts 16? Paul didn't say, you know, determine if you're elect. See if you're one of the chosen ones. His answer was believe. And so how do I resolve it? They're both true. I don't understand how they both can be true, how God can be sovereign and I can be responsible. But the most amazing thing to me in Scripture is both are taught in the same verse. That's what's so amazing. It says in Luke 22:22, 22, 22, that uh, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. that's divine sovereignty, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That's human responsibility. In Acts 4:27, it says that they were gathered together in this city against your holy servant Jesus, Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish crowd. And the people of the Gentiles, the uh, the soldiers, they were all you know, uh, uh, acting in a conspiracy against Jesus. That's human responsibility. But then the next verse says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So I just accept this. Uh, I don't try to explain it. Uh, you know, scientists have the same issue. Uh I, I, you can even see this on popular TV shows on the Big Bang. I heard it talked about once that uh, scientists recognize that light is a wave and it's also a particle, and yet it can't really be both at the same time. And yet they say, "Well, it is. We just have to accept it." And so, in the same way, we have to accept this mystery. We have to trust God's will. Uh, I, I don't, don't try and reconcile them beyond this that I believe both are true, I trust God's sovereignty, and I understand my own human responsibility. I think of uh, something that Spurgeon once said uh, when he was asked how he reconciled God's sovereign election and human responsibility to believe. He said, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. And so that's probably where I stand. I'm just not going to try and reconcile those friends. They're
1: both tr- Okay, wonderful response and I hope that's helpful to you and thank you for a wonderful question. We are taking questions today. The talkback line is open, but there is a fault with our telecommunications company. There are technicians, I'm told, working on that. So if you have a question today, facebook.com forward slash vision radio to be able to pose a question as we're talking about 50 of those most important Bible questions today. Let's take another question Tristram has uh, left a note on Facebook, says, I personally see many of the stories in the Bible as metaphors rather than factual. Adam and Eve represent the first people, but it doesn't mean they there weren't other people around at the time. If you take the stories as metaphors of how to live and be in a relationship with God, then it all makes sense. Uh, that's quite controversial. Uh, your thoughts here, Michael, for Tristram? Mm.
0: Well, let's take it out of the realm of Adam and Eve. I think there was a historical Adam and a historical Eve, and they are described in the book of Genesis. But just let's start beginning by looking at how narrative or stories in the Bible were intended to be read. They're never presented as myth or metaphor. They're always presented as this is what really happened. Uh, Often you'll see phrases like you can see the sign that was put up to this day, when the author wrote the book, not to this day today, but to this day, they'll write, you can see it. Uh, they'll say that these things are still standing, or this has always been known. And uh, it, The Bible always presents historical narrative, or the stories of the Bible, as factually true. Now, you come to a parable, like the Lord Jesus would have told, no, that's not to be taken as true. They're true to life, but they're not true stories, necessarily. It's not like they really happened. He's just telling a story. That's a parable. They're still, they still contain truth, but they're not factually uh, nonfiction kind of truth. But when you look at the narratives in the Bible, those are always intended to be understood as true. And the second thing I would say is, you know, I go to Israel quite a bit when there isn't a pandemic and go to archaeological sites and over and over Various archaeological sites come out with stuff and say, wow, it's just like what the Bible said. Who knew? Uh, Another place is uh, Josephus would describe what the temple was like in the first century. uh, And that was consistent with what the Bible taught. And they said, well, Josephus, he was mistaken. Well, then they excavated all around the Temple Mount. And it confirmed exactly what the gospel said about first century Judaism and the temple. So I would just say that the Bible always presents itself as true. History and archaeology confirm its truth. And then uh, I would just say, based on that, when I read the story of Adam and Eve, I don't have a problem believing that there really was an Adam and there really was an Eve. Uh, That's how it was presented, and I will accept it.
1: Wonderful stuff. You can respond facebook.com forward slash vision radio. You'll find an opportunity there on a post to ask a question as Anish has done. And Anish says it's a question about grace. How do we define God's grace in this generation? Some tell that grace covers sin. Some say grace needs righteousness to work. And some say Christ has completed the work And we can live however we need as Jesus has paid for our sins. How do we explain this to this generation?
0: Well, grace is God's kindness. I think that too often I think we make grace too theological. The word refers to, when we talk of God's grace, his kindness to us. And he shows us grace. He shows us kindness and forgives our sin, but not because uh, we deserve it. Uh, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the very most famous passage about grace, for by God's grace or God's kindness, we're saved. It's not of works. None of us can boast, that verse says. Uh, But it's by grace, through faith, through trusting what Jesus did for us. He died for us and rose again. So we didn't accomplish it. God accomplishes it. All we do is trust. I think that's true, but I think that there's a, an issue. Uh, the more we sin, the, the, the more we sinned. the more grace we received when we came to faith. When we trusted Jesus, we received a lot of grace. And then Paul raises the question in Romans chapter 6. Uh, he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? He's saying, Should I keep sinning more and more so I get more and more grace? And his answer, in the strongest way he can say it in Greek, "Meganoito." my version here that I'm reading says, absolutely not. May it never be. Uh, Absolutely, totally, no, 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 we do not sin to get more grace. What it is is, what Romans 6 goes on to point out, is that the old me that received that grace died that old Michael, he's gone. He died with Christ and was raised to new life. And therefore, I can't live, according to Romans 6, what this is saying, I can't live the way I used to live because I'm not the person I once was. I've been born again. I am a new creature. I have to live differently. And so I would say... person that wants to get more grace by sinning more and more, I would question whether that person really has ever really fully understood the grace of God, and if they've really trusted in Jesus, because that would break my heart to think, I just want God to give me more and more grace, and I can live any way I want. No, I have to live as a, as a vessel of his glory uh, to, to bring glory to him. So uh, that's what I would say, that no, grace isn't cheap. There was a very infinite price paid for it. It was the death of the the Son of God and his resurrection. And now I can receive grace. I can't live that old way anymore. I have to live like the new man I am.
1: Wonderful considered response. Dr. Michael Rydelnik is our guest. We might have a breakthrough on our telephones. Let's try and take a call. Uh, Wayne is in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Wayne. Welcome. Hey, how are you, mate? Good, so, um, a, a question that I like reading in the Bible, they're about to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. What's a really good explanation on that? Because I know that when we do sin, and He said, if you say you don't sin, you're calling Him a liar. He knows we're not going to be perfect till we go home. So, what would be a really good explanation on that? Just that I've seen a few things there where, uh, like, where people have gone into heaven and. Like one said about uh, there was people that were Christians that were in hell and um, it was because of unforgiveness and and all this sort of stuff, you know, Um, all them important things that we need to do. Um, I just find it hard to get my head around at a time. Uh, I
0: I have a question, though. Did you say that people who died and came back told those stories? Is that
1: what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. well, I I thought about that too. I mean, I thought, well, you can't believe everything you hear, but...
0: Yeah, I would would start off by saying uh, the only person who died and was raised again that I would trust is the Lord Jesus. I I don't buy those stories. Uh, A lot of them have actually been proven to be fabricated. So uh, just, you know, let's stick to the Word of God and not to what people say, but I think it's a great question. What is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's mentioned in Matthew 12. Uh, And the context, always driven by context, we have to read the context. This is when they accused the Lord Jesus of driving out demons by Satan. He was doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were saying that what the Lord Jesus did, the incarnate Son of God in the flesh, right there the God man was with them and the Messiah and they were saying he did his deeds by Satan and not by the Holy Spirit this was the time when it appears the people who said this the leadership of Israel they were making a full and final decision to reject Jesus that's what what that was they were saying that the incarnate Son of God is doing his work by the the enemy and so they had rejected him, and as a result, they had blasphemed or spoken ill, uh, spoken b- badly of the Holy Spirit, and that won't be forgiven. And so it is the, what that's referring to is the final, full rejection of Jesus. Now, here's the problem I have. There are many people I've seen who rejected Jesus, and I thought that was it, and then the Lord worked in their hearts, and... They didn't come to the full and final rejection so i i because i can't tell when someone's that way only the lord jesus knows you know god knows i don't know uh, so i just keep presenting the good news to everyone i i wherever they are i don't i don't hesitate to challenge people to put their trust in jesus uh but if by the time they 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 pass away if they have never trusted in jesus then I would say, yes, that was that decision that they made to reject Jesus. That was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's when they when they said, no, he's not the Son of God. He is not the Messiah. He's doing his works by the enemy. No, uh, that's the full and final rejection of the Lord. So uh, that seems to me the best explanation of what it is, to say that the Son of God doing his works by the power of the Holy Spirit is actually doing them by the enemy
1: okay Wayne. i don't
0: think we can we can't do that but we can reject him
1: okay wayne and Mackay. thank you so much for your call taking calls on 1-800-316-316 let's see if we can take some more kevin is in brisbane hello kevin welcome hi how are you well done kevin uh, very well thank you what are your quest what's your question um, I've come across Eugene Peterson's version of the Bible, the message, and I think it's um, just a, a brilliant translation. Um, I've also come across the Passion Translation, and I was just wondering if Michael Con- can comment uh, on those two versions of the Bible as to whether they are, um, you know, something that, that, um, you know, a lot of people talk about those uh, translations and they say they're not uh, a real, uh, translation like Uh, like the new King James Version is. I was just wondering Mm -hmm. if we can hear from Michael um, what he thinks of those particular translations of the Bible. Michael.
0: Sure. Uh, Well, they're they're really not translations. They're paraphrases of the Bible. And even though the Passion Translation says, no, no, we're not a paraphrase. We're an actual, I'm, I'm the actual translator. The lead translator has said that. When you read it, and compare it to the original language, it is clearly a paraphrase. So, uh, you know, I actually was on a Bible translation team, and I would say two things about, uh, let me just say something good about them. Many people tell me that when they read these paraphrases, they feel it really speaks to their hearts, and it's beneficial. And so I, I would not argue with that. I think that's fine but don't read those exclusively. What we need is a better translation. There's a whole grid of from the uh, the most word-for-word word, all the way to thought-for-thought, thought. but paraphrase goes even off the grid. And so you really need a, a translation that's more uh, of a translation and less of a paraphrase, although this is sort of like reading a commentary. It's one man's explanation. So the two issues, I'd say it is a paraphrase and it's, they were just both done by one man. And since they're done by one man, I was on a translation team. We had a huge team. We all I did my books on the, the Old Testament that I translated. And then it went to a team of scholars who evaluated that. And then a third team of scholars evaluated their work. And so uh, it's just both those books are just done by one man, each of them. And they're paraphrases. So, yes, it's good in the sense that it can speak to our hearts like reading a commentary, but it's it's also only a paraphrase, so also include reading from a more traditional translation.
1: Kevin, thank you so much for your call. Let's see if we can squeeze in one more. Bev is in Queensland. Hello, Bev. Welcome.
0: Oh, hello, Neil. Thank you for taking my call. The thing that I've wondered about a lot of times, about the hardness has come on the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I was wondering what the fullness of the Gentiles is. I think that's talking about the very last group of Gentiles when God, in, in Romans 11, uh, 26 is, uh, I think you're that's what you're talking about, uh, that... Uh, Jewish people are hardened until the fullness of the Gentiles. I think that's when the last Gentiles are saved. At that point, the nation of Israel uh, will be under great pressure as the armies of Armageddon are gathering around Jerusalem, and the leadership of Israel will make a decision to call on Jesus to save them. And when when that happens, uh, by the way, it's that, that partial hardening, because it's only partial, because there are still Jewish people who believe, even today, like me. But that hardening will break uh, at that point. All the Gentiles that God was going to save are saved. That's the fullness of the Gentiles. And then Israel there, at the end of days, they are going to, by their leadership, they're going to follow their leadership, and they will all call for the Messiah Jesus to save them. And he will return and do so. And that's what Paul means by then, at that time. All Israel will be saved.
1: Wonderful, Bev. Thank you so much for your question. And uh, we've got to draw a line under those questions. But what a bunch of great questions we've been able to address very quickly. And no doubt listeners might want to connect with you even more personally, Michael. And I'm going to give a couple of websites in just a few moments. Uh, give uh, listeners a moment to scramble for a pen. We can write those down because some people might want access to your online radio program where they can get these mm-hmm. sorts of answers uh, regularly. And I'll give your website personally as in just a few moments. The book we've been talking about today, though, is called 50 Most Important Bible Questions. And it may be one of those books that finds its way onto your bookshelf and becomes a regular go-to when you have questions about the Bible. You can simply find 50 Most Important Bible Questions. You can Google that. You'll find online booksellers where you'll be able to have that book delivered straight to your home. Now, to find Dr. Michael Rydelnick Rydelnik on uh, his website Uh, as you say Michael sometimes people can't find you because they can't spell your surname Uh, yeah (laughs) you correct me if I've got this wrong it's Michael R-Y-D-E-L-N-I-K yeah
0: org exactly
1: MichaelRydelnik.org. And uh, you can connect with Michael on his online Open Line program, OpenLineRadio.org. And uh, you say that's on weekends. So if you're looking for something to listen into, and no doubt there'll be some time zone adjustments there, but OpenLineRadio.org. Also,
0: it has past programs, so people can listen anytime they want online. Uh, and they can get the Moody Radio app and listen on their uh, smartphones. So there's all sorts of ways you can get podcasts and all sorts of things that they'll see if they go to
1: openlineradio.org. I'll also mention other books that you've written. I mentioned a little earlier your contribution to the Moody Bible Commentary. Also another book, Understanding the Arab-Israeli Conflict. And The Messianic Hope, Is the Hebrew Bible Really Messianic? Uh, and there might be other books, too, that uh, listeners can get a hold of. For uh, Simply Google uh, those titles or, as I say, org. Michael, wonderful getting your insights. Thanks so much for staying up a little later and uh, offering these insights for listeners today here in Australia on 2020. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a privilege.